Remote viewing data never really like like says it's Pleiadian necessarily, but it, it, it goes into what these beings are and have had interaction with here on Earth and continue to have interaction. Construction work was easy for them, asserted one typical Maya legend. All they had to do was whistle and heavy rocks would move into place. They're using whistling to levitate rocks. I'm sure that there are fossilized giants, but I would not expect fossilized giants necessarily to have that tone. And everything is flipped here in this dimension, which makes it really hard to live a comfortable life, but also makes the conditions really good for cultivating your heart. Because right. if you can become good in this environment, you're actually rock solid in the universe. Our data was talking about a battle that these giant human type beings, Anunnaki-ish, were having in that area where Adam's calendar is. And one of them got their toe cut off. Ancient mysteries that shouldn't exist lie in caves, and they may just prove that humanity's timeline is wrong. 155 lifelike human figures were etched on the floor of a French cave, and they're at least 15,000 years old. Are they proof that the commonly accepted timeline of humanity needs to be adjusted? Over in Mexico, why was the Pyramid of the Magician also called the House of the Dwarf? And is it a clue about its real history? Beings of small stature with supernatural powers were said to raise the entire structure using a surprising method not recognized by science until modern times thousands of years later. Just wait till we get into that discussion because it's going to blow your mind. In Iceland, friendly elves, helpful spirits, and mysterious cave creatures interacted with people in the early 1900s. Amazingly, the stories metaphysical found align with aspects of Tommyknocker sightings from across the globe. We also uncovered the most believable account ever found of a kidnapping by a troll in Norway. But judge for yourself when you hear about this bizarre 1690s court case. Join remote viewer John Vivanco and me investigative researcher Rob Counts for a show that's out of this world. Are you listening to the Metaphysical Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or elsewhere? Anywhere else. Leave us a five-star rating and review. It's going to help us reach even more people. Remember, you got to like, follow, and subscribe on YouTube, Rumble, Ganjing World, Twitter, and Facebook so you can keep up to date with what we're putting out. John, how you doing? Doing good. Good. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, we've got some real-life research in this episode. Hmm that is going to punch us all in the face and make us rethink a lot of things in the best way possible, of course. Um, you know, in our last couple of episodes, we've talked about minds and, and the different types of beings involved in some of these minds that they're finding. We, we went into the sea a little bit near deep drill, uh, deep drill oil sites. We've also talked about some mysterious creatures in, uh, in South Africa that have been reported that live in caves and things. I thought it would be interesting to enter this episode kind of coming back to some of these cave creatures with some of the oldest drawings that have ever been found of human faces in a cave in Southern France. These faces were carved on a floor of this cave in France dating back about 15,000 years, at least they think, because I don't ever trust the dates that they give back. But look at the drawing of these faces, they look almost 
like so close to storybook creatures that we right. see of dwarves, elves, trolls. How old are these things again? Well, over 15,000 years, at least 15,000 years. Yeah. Interest. That's really interesting. Yeah. Look that at this. Like they look like the Ohio melon heads, John. <laughs> oh, those melon heads. Those melon heads. <laughs> They're everywhere. God, <laughs> yeah, everywhere too. Unfortunately, they are. If you haven't seen our melon head episode yet, that is going to be on rise.tv. That is exclusive Halloween content. And you can actually support our work by subscribing to Rise TV and watching those excellent, tasteful episodes we did on melon heads. <laughs> tasteful. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Oh, what the heck were those things? Yeah, actually, great. That was a great episode. Great reveal. Um, there's weird things in the woods, people. <laughs> that totally is. If these are dated to be around the 15,000 ago year mark, um, you know, we're talking about uh, civilizations here that are like pre-flood, right? We're talking about the the makeover, the Earth makeover, just before the Earth makeover, when the Earth was in a different state with different types of beings here that were not only from out there, but were interacting in dimensional ways and stuff like that, where the awareness of it was actually much, much higher. So, so I would not be surprised. I would not be surprised for a second that these would be, you know, dwarves or tommy knockers or something yeah. or blue hats like that that one guy's wearing a little hat there's one guy there that's wearing a little hat yeah so they and they look so similar to these reports that our old like older folks would tell you that these strange gnomes elves leprechauns fays whatever you want to call them look like you know some reports are saying that these are 17,000, maybe even over 30,000 years old. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's Sorry. that's really fascinating. That's really fascinating. Other caves where they found drawings, the, the drawings are like stick figures. So the fact that these drawings are this advanced that, that we were kind of looking at, you know, 15,000 years ago, almost, almost kind of rewrites things a little bit or tells a different story about how advanced people were back then and and you know you and i have have discussed this before what really happened was there advanced civilizations was there a flood did they go underground to survive and then were they tracking things by drawing things on the caves around them to pass the time right i mean think too it's like um some of these underground complexes like in turkey and whatnot um i can't remember the name of it big one where there were even pens for uh, cattle underground, and they Go built it. Gobekli Tepe, not that. It one. wasn't Gobekli Tepe. It was. I think it starts with a D. I cannot remember what it was called. Oh, no, that's at the tip of my. Darren tongue. Darren Kuru. Darren Kuru. Darren Kuru. Darren Kuru. Okay, so that location, like, think about this. So they they literally built this complex underground to escape something that was happening on the surface. Now think about. What happened in that time frame with the civilizations on this planet going underground and what sort of connection, if they didn't already make the connection, they made connections at that point with the beings who were probably living underground. 
you know, also when you get to like the Hopi, the Hopi uh, stories about when they go into the earth and they came out of the earth in between the cataclysms, they would have to go into the earth and they have stories of being taken care of, like by the ant people under earth, under the ground and stuff. So I imagine that there was, if they didn't know these beings before going under, they knew them when they were living under there. Oh, that's so interesting, especially since like this new Canadian whistleblower came out recently talking about how there are four races of extraterrestrial beings that that governments know about. He kind of followed David Grush. You and I have had some episodes on them saying that that there were four different species. And one of these species was this like mantis type species that they knew right. about existing. Right. Right. Which is terrifying because if you look at praying mantises in the wild, like they will eat mice, they'll eat hummingbirds, they just kill everything. Like they're crazy. They're like the craziest bugs in the wild. You know. Well, there's a, there's a ton of stories in in UFO lore, uh, abduction stories of people interacting with these large mantis type humanoids, and Which is so bizarre and random. Like, how would you even make that up? You know? Right. How would you make that up? And and we've in some projects have seen these types of beings, like looking at specific craft or like a, a video of something that someone's claiming a craft. We remote view it and find that the viewers are describing this mantis type being always extremely highly intelligent, not, you know, going to reach out and grab you with its crazy arms and bite your head off. Not like that at all. Just extremely intelligent, very technologically capable and more on the neutral to good side. Sometimes there are some that are more negative, but most like are on the neutral to good side, as far as we are concerned. You know, it'd be weird as if like you, you, you got a spaceship, our, our, our civilization was advanced, right? We got a spaceship, we went to another planet and we start interacting with this species of mantid creatures. And we look and there's this little insect that looks like a human and it's biting the heads off of. <laughs> I can imagine like if I was a mantis creature and I came over here and I'm like, why is this little thing biting the heads off of all of these mice? We don't do that. <laughs> yeah, we no, no. You're getting the wrong idea about us. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, you know, actually, you know, mammals, mammals create tons of destruction destruction across the universe the sure. mammalian life form us that look like that that human mammal a human mammal okay so but, mammalian and being, being mammals got it yeah. right we're we're, we're a mammal right. right and so what what we have represented on our planet right here as far as this version of mammals go and us is we fight a lot with each other we produce a lot of war we become very selfish and greedy and and narcissistic. And this is actually what we learn from our parents. And our, I'm not talking about my parents or your parents. I'm talking about our parents from space, right? I'm talking about how we learn how to deal with the world. And some microcosm, macrocosm, where we get into wars with each other and other things, and we get very focused on that kind of stuff. So this is this is something that that goes across the universe: the corruption process of mammals, without having this this ethics, like keeping to the original ethics, 
human mammals do this as they go through the universe. Things get real messed up. We're just reflecting and what we do, how we act, we're just reflecting what our parents did. That's why they call it the matrix, right? Or, or, or in Buddhism, they call it a world of illusion is because, you know, there's, we can't see anything beyond this material world here and everything is flipped here in this dimension, which makes it really hard to live a comfortable life, but also makes the conditions really good for cultivating your heart. Because right. if you can become good in this environment, you're actually rock solid in the universe. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Which you is kind of a cool, think. cool idea. It's a good idea, but think about this. Every single one of us is going to die. When you are on your deathbed and you are looking back at your life, are you going to be happy about being selfish and chasing money your whole life? Because yeah. when you die, that money is not going to mean a damn thing. Alexander the Great, man. That was his take home. Who's what? Alexander the Great on his deathbed. That bed. was his take home. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. He was like, don't follow my example. He took over the entire world. That's right. Everything. And he was like, please, everyone, don't do what I did. Don't take me as an example. You, you come to this world naked and naked you leave. Right. So what are you going to look back on? What do you want to look back on? Like what you gave to others. How selfless were you? How much did you help others? That's the only thing that's actually going to matter. How much spiritual development did you go through? And I'll tell you what, too, it's the only, literally the only thing in the world that makes you feel good, too. Like there is nothing, there is no medication that's going to make you feel as good as, or self-medication that's going to make you feel as good as actually doing something selflessly for another person. Right. It's just yeah. true. Yeah, yeah. And here's, here's Alexander the Great's uh, quote. It's, when my casket is being carried to the grave, he's saying this on his deathbed, leave my hands hanging outside. For empty-handed I came into this world, and empty-handed I shall go. My whole life has been a hollow waste, a futile exercise, for no one at death can take anything with them. Exactly. It's like when I when I was when I was younger, I went and lived in a like a monastic situation, sure. uh, Zen center. There were people around me who were very like, what are you doing? What are you doing? You you should be out developing a career and making money. Money's the most important thing. I would just look at them and go, you have no idea what this is. You don't know what this is. And, and this is what people are. They just become very material and self-focused without understanding what the broader picture is. And that's where we have to bring ourselves to, to understand what the broader picture is. If you don't do that, then you are going to be stuck in a material, selfish oh, man. world. Yeah. And it's like, this is why I think humans now have such a hard time understanding ancient cultures, because oftentimes right. these cultures were developed around these deeper spiritual things that we have no way of understanding now. Like, dude, this these cave drawings that I was just showing you. You got to see this on one of the floors of the, this is a quote from the article on one of the floors of the cave. I noticed a series of pits arranged in the shape of the Pleiades, also known as the seven sisters star cluster. He said drawings of the Pleiades have been found by Dr. Rapenoglick, excuse my 
pronunciation on the walls of many Neolithic caves in several parts of Europe. But until now, no cosmic marks have been found on cave floors. He speculates that the small holes could have been filled with animal fat and set alight, mimicking the flickering stars in the sky. Wow. Perhaps this is the origin of the candlelit festivals of the Far East, where lighted candles are held in the shape of the Pleiades. Perhaps it's a tradition that stretches back tens of thousands of years into our Stone Age past. Yeah. You know, the Pleiades is one of those interesting locations, as far as I'm concerned. The, The Pleiades is fascinating because when we remote view anything associated with that, like if somebody says I had this experience with Pleiadian this and that, remote viewing data never really like like says it's Pleiadian necessarily, but it, it, it goes into what these beings are and have had interaction with here on earth and continue to have interaction. It's always incredible. It's always incredible. Um, like, like, like story, fantasy, yeah, world, right. like movie, cinematic insanity. Right. They, they remind me a little bit some of them, there's a lot of different ones, but some of them remind me a little bit about of the elves in Lord yes. of the Rings. Yeah. Or like these Lemurians or whatever that you or and like I have the Lemurians, about Right. Us. So yeah, that's, that's always a, a nice thing to hear. Like when, when, when ancient cultures make reference to the Pleiadians, I love hearing that. Yeah. And it's so, it's so consistent across the earth too. Like why is everyone, people are putting like the Orion system ahead of everything. Some are putting the Pleiadian system. It's, it's just fascinating like where's all that i'm not from? i'm not keen on the orion system yeah i don't get a good vibe from it but no. there's lots that have put stuff the pyramids for instance they almost completely emulate the orion belt right and there are yeah. other references in that culture to that and also we're not even we don't know how long ago to be fair these pyramids were built They could have been built so long ago that at that time, the Orion system was not what we think it is now. I'd like to check out this article here from Graham Hancock or about Graham Hancock, where he's talking about the Maya pyramid potentially being built by whistling dwarves. Have you heard this before? You know, this is one of these things that crosses my desk every once in a while. So yeah, but never never looked into that specifically. It is interesting. I mean, we're talking about some of the legends here, right? So here's a quote from this book, Fingerprints of the Gods by Graham Hancock. Quote, since the time out of mind, this edifice, which looked like the castle of a necromancer, had been known as the Pyramid of the Magician, and also the House of the Dwarf. These names were derived from a Maya legend which asserted that a dwarf with supernatural powers had raised the entire building in just one night. The Pyramid of the Magician was by no means unique in being associated with the supernatural powers of dwarves, whose architectural and masonry skills were widely renowned in Central America. It's very Lord of the Rings-esque, right? Construction work was easy for them, asserted one typical Maya legend. All they had to do was whistle, and heavy rocks would move into place. They're using whistling to levitate rocks. Yeah, no, no, I, I said, oh yeah. I mean, that's sonic levitation. Quote, a very similar tradition, as the reader may recall, claimed that, a gi- that the gigantic stone blocks of the mysterious Andean city of Tijuanaco had been carried through the air to the sound of a trumpet. In both Central America 
And in the far-off regions of the Andes, therefore, strange sounds had been associated with the miraculous levitation of massive rocks. Yeah, absolutely. You have that story coming out of Tibet as well from the 1920s or 30s of a doctor who went and watched these monks levitate rocks. Yes. Football to a cave, right? Yeah, we remote viewed that whole thing. That was 100% real. They were using specific sound frequencies that they knew about that came from an earlier age. Like they have this, this is coming out of these like libraries that exist that we don't know about. Right. Well, we only hear edges of that these cultures know about, especially when you get into these monastic type cultures, because they keep the information and they know how to do it. And the whistling part is, is pretty simple because sonic levitation is shown to be a thing. And, you know, it's not like a dwarf is going around whistling and things are magically moving. It was probably a little bit more of a concerted effort with more dwarves or more beings of some sort working with them to create the necessary frequency in order to cause things to levitate. And heck, that could have been how these pyramids were built as well in Egypt. Because they did revere the dwarf, like Ta and Bess and whatnot. And anyone who in society who exhibited those traits, they would revere them. You know, in Lord of the Rings, there were elves, there's humans, there's dwarves, there's hobbits, there's all these different kinds of things. Like, what if the Earth was like that before? Right. There was a lot more of these different types of beings all hanging out together and and trying to to figure out how to live with one another. And then eventually it came to a point where, you know, almost just like in Lord of the Rings, it was human beings time to reign on the planet for an undisclosed period of time. And that's where we are now. And we've forgotten we have, as Graham Hancock often says, we have amnesia about our ancient past. More like we don't want to look at it. Yeah, well, that's the thing, too. I mean, the, yeah. we could that could branch off into a, a much crazier conversation, which we won't get into here of why that is. It's not just dwarfs. These like Lord of the Rings types of dwarves, elves as well in certain cultures, as we're about to see with this next story. And I am not going to pronounce this properly, but there is a cave in Iceland called the Lagarvatnesjelir cave. Okay, please forgive me if you're even remotely from that area. So this cave is one of the few caves in Iceland which people actually lived. Uh, now, you know, as you can imagine, it was kind of normal for outlaws to live in caves, but not for a common Icelander. There's a story about one couple. I'm just going to use first names because these last names are very difficult. John and Vigis, who moved to the caves and lived there from 1918 to 1922. John was a carpenter. So he closed the cave opening and installed a room with new paneling and put in a stove. The couple had three children during the time they lived there. Two of the children were born in the cave with John delivering the first um, named Ragnilor, I guess, Ragnar, uh, while a blizzard was basically roaring outside. Shortly after the baby was born, a supposed elf lady appeared in Vigis's dream. That's the wife and told her that she should not be afraid to do the laundry in the brook that was in there, I guess, or outside. It's unclear. The brook was called the Valkiller. The Val... Val oh, I'm never going to get that. Valkiller? Brook. She only had to leave a Bible on top of the crib, and the elf lady would look after the baby. When Vigis returned after having stepped out, she always felt as if there was a presence sitting by the crib 
that must have been the elf lady. Later on, the baby would be known to play with the elves. And this was not uncommon in Iceland in previous centuries to see elves and to play with them. My grandmother, this is in the article, my grandmother told me about her elf friends and so did her sister when they were growing up in the West Fjords of Iceland. The couple lived in the caves with their three children for four years and were once visited by the Danish kin, king, who was Christian X, who visited Iceland in 1921. And the king was treated to skir, which is like, you know, basically yogurt, Icelandic skir with cream in the cave. One more thing about the caves, they were believed to be haunted, or maybe it is true that elves live there. Yeah, do you want to hear why? So the farmers had used the caves as stalls for their sheep throughout the centuries and could fit some three to 400 sheep in there. A guy named Porsten, who was a new shepherd, went to the caves with the sheep, but the sheep refused to enter. He tried to light a candle, but the light went out again and again. He got very angry and entered the caves and banged the walls with a cane. The sheep then finally entered and Porston went to sleep in the furthest end of the caves. He was abruptly woken and got dragged by the feet all around the caves. This happened repeatedly until he finally gave up and took the sheep back. And it was said that he would never sleep in the caves again. So it's almost like these Tommy knockers again that are like in the cave protecting the caves or something like that, right? So there are guided tours of these caves now. And there's a lot of lore around these types of things. Oh yeah, that's that's incredible. Okay, you're underground. There's water flow. There is uh, all sorts of minerals, interesting minerals in the rocks, crystal quartz, most likely. I mean, usually <clears throat> where you find specific types of bedrock, you're going to have strange paranormal type phenomena. But again, these are portals, right? These are openings to other worlds, portals, and and. It's hard for humans. Humans don't recognize, but these other beings do. And they will come in because they still consider this aspect part of their home as well. You know, it's like I often wonder, it's like if you have a ghost in your house, is the ghost just something in another dimension that's going, get out of my house, man? What are you doing in my house? Yeah. <laughs> You're haunting me. Probably, actually. They're probably yeah. annoyed. Some of them are probably annoyed. You know, right. It depends on how conscious they are of their situation, I think. Yeah. This idea that you could talk to an Icelandic grandmother and she might have stories of playing with her elf friends when she was young. Well, how much has changed in the last hundred years? You know, what if we were a hundred years ago or more, 120 years ago, what would we have seen in these areas that were off trodden the amount of information flow and social engineering of course the local community will social socially engineer you in order for you to survive right i mean it's all about social survival which humans will group together socially so they can survive and so you've got to play the whatever is the norm within that society and you get to these isolated villages they're all going to have slightly different norms and so if you've got a norm that is a little bit more open to beings from other worlds, then you're going to see them because those blinders will be, will have holes in them, basically. Right? I agree with this. I think human beings are holding back the miracles that could be happening if, yeah. you know, with our own minds right now. Yeah. And yeah. look at today, like, like the inundation of the internet is 
now being used so heavily for social engineering and gaslighting and echo chambers. And you really have to step away from it. You have to step away from it. Yeah, there's so much more cool, real stuff out there than what's going on in those little echo chambers. Yeah. When we started getting into all of this stuff, John, I could not help it but start to wonder more about trolls and cave trolls because the culture is so strong out there in the Nordic countries. And I was actually pleasantly surprised to find some evidence that I could not turn away from that trolls could potentially exist out there. Now, again, in a previous episode, we kind of went over a little bit of this, but there's been some really interesting movies that came out over the last 10, 20 years. Uh, there was one called Troll Hunter, and then there was another recently called Troll on Netflix. And these movies actually kind of helped, I think, facilitate uh, more of the troll culture out there into the into society. Some of the stuff that was more likely to be seen in the legends of, of the ancient world, you know, or in these cultures out there. This was from this clip here is from the movie Troll Hunter. That was just a great film. It was really fun. If you're looking for, for a fun sci-fi film, you know, the lore around trolls is that, you know, trolls will turn to stone if they're in direct sunlight for any period of time. One of the main stories about these trolls uh, in I, it's all the, the Nordic countries. There's even one of the mountain ranges that is said to be frozen in time stone trolls that turned into stone. The story basically goes that there were about 12 or 13 trolls. One of the trolls is getting married. They're partying all night long. They forget that the sun is going to come up. The sun comes up and they all just turn into stone. <laughs> Right. So it's like a really interesting. It's like the ancient hangover, like ancient (laughs) hangover movie. Yeah. And and the mountain range that that is referring to, you know, supposedly. Behind this story is a massive mountain range. You but people claim to see troll faces and things in the mountain range. Right now, whether this is human beings making that up or not. That's up to you to decide. But, you know, it is interesting that the, the the mountains there have a different almost quality of stone. It's not the same, these mountain ranges. As it, like if you look at the mountain ranges over, you know, in the in the west coast of the of the United States or any even anywhere else in the world, China, anywhere else, these mountain ranges that have the word troll in them. So uh, so you're saying that that some of these mountain ranges look like they are the face or body face down or body of a, of a troll. Yes. So they're <laughs> now some of them just, of course, they look like mountain ranges, but people think that they can see troll faces in them. There are other stone hills and different um, rock formations that specifically look like a troll chilling and watching the sun coming up and it's frozen. It's just like a, frozen rock now and so of course now a lot of people are like well that's human beings making that up it just appears that way but yeah pareidolia but it's but it is strange now this is a really interesting infographic wait no way no way that's got to be that's got to be sculpted 
Now, I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. It's like, yeah, is this pareidolia or is this actually like a type of being we don't understand from an ancient past who has a different type of body than ours that is affected by something? And who knows whether it was the sunlight or something else that right. made this being petrify. But that is strange. Well, you know, it's like, you know, the face on Mars uh, where you look down on it, like the early satellite photos from NASA look like a face, just like a face. People went nuts over it. Then they re-imaged it later and they took it at an, they took it at an angle so that the face wouldn't be as apparent. But when we remote, now they just call it pareidolia. It's like, no, 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 there's no face there. It's a great way to write off anything. Exactly. Anything. We remote viewed that. It was absolutely, it is absolutely a structure that was in the shape of a face of them. When we've looked at some of these claims here on the earth, like there's this place in Los Angeles, for instance, sort of in the back country, where people claim there's the face of a sphinx and stuff like that. We looked at a couple of those that are supposed to be in rock and, and we got natural processes that form them, but we couldn't look at all of them. When we've looked at others around around the world, we have seen that they've either been carved or, okay, this is weird. There sometimes is a fourth dimensional impression. So if a being, if one thing we've seen is that if a being decides that it wants to go back and forth between where it is, <clears throat> fourth dimension, there's a there's a ability to manipulate matter somewhat somewhat in the third dimension from the fourth dimension. And so some of these things we've seen to be manipulations of matter coming from them that exist in the fourth dimension that could result in something that we recognize as a face. So basically things that are happening in other dimensions are manifesting here as other things. Yeah. I don't think that's outside of the realm of possibility. Why wouldn't other dimensions have an impact on this dimension? Why wouldn't this dimension have an impact on other dimensions, especially when we're blowing nuclear bombs up right. or these different things. Like we don't even know what type of, what that would do in the multiverse or the quantum right. verse. Right. We you don't know. know. Scientists yeah. just doing whatever they do. You know, and then when you think about, when you think about, well, the wizard from the earlier episode, the, the wizard that, that <laughs> I just hate calling it that, um, that takes care of these portals, administers these portals and the amount of energy that flows through them. And that utilization of energy to move things in the physical, like levitate the rocks, is the same kind of concept, right? Check this out. So here's an article that I found from the Fjord Norway, okay, dot com. Ready for this? The young girl, Marta Oltsdotter, strand from a Farnes, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, so excuse me, was captured by trolls. Roughly 300 years ago, she explained herself to eight jurors and mold who believed her. Several sources tell the story of Marta and the eight jurors are referred to as wise and sensible men. According to the author, Ker Magne Holzbovag, who has surveyed the name, both names and of the places and legends about trolls in the Nordmore and Romsdal. It is said that Marta was held captive by the large trolls for nearly two years, and several of them had buttocks like a fox. I don't know why they added that in there. Buttocks like a fox. <laughs> While she was there, the troll mother gave birth to a son with the size of a half-grown human. 
Wow. Marta refused to marry him and was therefore <clears throat> thrown naked out of the mountain. In May 1695, Marta was asked by the county governor to come to mold with her father to explain herself to eight jurors. They concluded that the girl was trustworthy and in her right mind and that she probably had been staying with trolls. <laughs> that's pretty incredible. That's, that's just like a lot of people will be like, well, these are crazy old people that just thought that that could be true. And so they believed her or whatever. And she was obviously making this up. We're talking about a woman sitting in front of a judge and jury and rationally talking through like these aren't stupid people. She's like, yeah, they they captured me. They took me. This is what they did. Now, also, I think while we're on the subject, I found this video the other day and it blew my mind, blew my mind about the pink salt caves. You have you seen? I, I don't think I don't even no, know. Wait, if tell I me about this, dude. Pink salt. So we're talking about what I put on my uh, Himalayan, Himalayan Himalayan sea salt. Is it really that hard to believe that these pink salt mines could be petrified giants? Look at how close it resembles our own human anatomy. The average adult body contains 250 grams of sodium, less than nine ounces or about the amount of three or four salt shakers. But remember, they are not human. We're talking about giants. They Watch. have their own anatomy and their own sodium levels were much higher and resulting in more salt in their giant bodies. Now, did they petrify instantly as a punishment of some kind, or are they still aging? And the rocks and the pink salt we have today, are there the remnants of their long lost existence? Just something to think about. That is totally just something to think about. Like it, for those of you at home who are not watching this on, on YouTube or whatever, I highly recommend watching that part so you can watch that video kudos to whoever that dude is that made that video i've watched a couple of videos of him talking about how he's got these theories about potential giants that are just this is, right this is just gonna wreck the vegans i mean what what spices are they gonna yeah use? what they'll never be able to put pink himalayan sea salt on anything again right don't use pink himalayan sea salt they're they're petrified giants <laughs> petrified giants Actually, the you know the mineralization process that a fossil goes through won't look like that at all. It's mm. uh, it won't. It just it won't. It, you're look you're comparing something dead, a piece of meat, currently like if it was just killed, to to what it would look like if something was fossilized, mineralized, and that's not. I mean, see the thing is, fossils will will be created. Uh, and that will use the, it will basically be the local mineralization that goes into them. So it could be any color, right? So I wouldn't even expect fossilized, I'm sure that there are fossilized giants, but I would not expect fossilized giants necessarily to have that tone. Of, they would, I mean, they, it's kind of like to his point, he was saying, like, what if they just had a different type of body and composition? Unlike body composition than what organic that kept attained that color, kept the color, sure. Or whatever it was. Right, 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 right. right. Like, yeah. It's an interesting concept, but like whether it's true, I don't know. But in it, the first video that That's I saw from right. him, uh, he was showing different images of mountains that looked like they 
well, it's this pareidolia thing. Like, were they right. giants that turned to stone or were these things that, you know, just are fooling the human eye? Right, 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 right. <laughs> I, that, I actually crazy, can't, yeah. I can't answer that. I mean, yeah. it's a fantastic idea to, to. No, like, look, okay. So check this out. So we looked at, he basically runs Adam's calendar in South Africa, which is an ancient, it's like one of the oldest megalithic structures on this earth. And I, I met the guy a number of times and talked to him like, oh, what's his name? What's the dude's name again? Uh, Michael Tellinger. Tellinger. Oh, Michael Tellinger. Okay. Yeah. You know Michael, right? Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Hung out with Michael a couple of times. So he brings forward this, this, this stone. And it's like, I don't know, it's like this big. And I, I have a picture, I think, that I'm holding it. He claimed that it was the toe or the finger. No, the finger of a giant. He found it in Adam's calendar. So he claimed that it was the finger of a giant. So it, and he was like, well, you want to remote view it, right? So it's an easy thing to be able to remote view how something formed, right? If it's a geologic process or, or something else. And we've done this so many times and we do often find that the geologic process is king, right? So what we found with this was that- Look at that, Look at that foot. Just I know, it's Footprint huge. in the mountain, yeah. It's like a footprint in some cement or something. We remote viewed that as well. Yeah, to find out what that was. But anyway, I'll get back to this digit. So we remote viewed it and it wasn't the finger of a giant. It was the toe. Our data was talking about a battle that these giant human type beings on Anaki-ish were having in that area where Adam's calendar is. And one of them got their toe cut off and Tellinger found it. And so he's got this little museum of things that he's found around and in Adam's calendar that are like that fossils of stuff, right? So he, if you want to see real fossils of giants, go check out Tellinger's museum. Absolutely. Yeah. What is, Pretty what is incredible? What is he saying this, this stuff is like, you know, I'm not sure. Some of these are fossils. Like he, he, he's, he know, like this site is, is the Adam's calendar site is a very ancient old site. We've remote viewed it. It is related to giants. It's related to Anunnaki. It's related to beings of the very, very deep past that were very, very, very large. I mean, we're talking about a toe that big, you know, like 20, right. 25, 40 foot tall giants, something like that. Exactly. That would line up with that one footprint that he was pointing out in that rock, that big, huge, really huge. So the fossilization process can look different for everything. Most things you wouldn't even know that they were fossils because of, because now it's just a rock. So what about this footprint that he found in the, in the rock here? That was, that was beings coming from another planet location because their planet was dying out. And they were monitoring earth. There wasn't a lot going on here. And it was an older prehistoric type earth. Uh, there was lava flow. There was a muddy swampy area that they landed in. And when they stepped off the ship, they weren't wearing shoes. One of them at least, or I mean, maybe they didn't need to stepped in the soil 
and left that print and things dried out after that. And then tectonic movement and whatnot pushed that thing into the position place that it is currently. And that is a real footprint. Wow. Yeah. That's rad. And it where, is. Where was where was that? Actually, so I'm not even that was that's that is in South Africa. It's not at Adam's calendar. It's like north of it, I do believe. I can't remember the exact location of it, um, but it's north of it. Absolutely a place that a person can go to look at it, though. Everyone needs to listen to this show. Right. And see, that's the thing. So a guy can make a theory about about Himalayan salt being uh, petrified giants, but it's the guy's theory. This other stuff actually exists. It's right there. It's, it's like right this stuff is right there in front of us. And yeah. no one like, why is no one talking about this stuff? It's so sad that more people just don't have cool conversations like this where they can actually, actually talk about this stuff. Right. Man, this was a wild episode. Um, so fun. I didn't expect to get into some of the stuff that we did. Like the Michael Tellinger conversation was fascinating. I haven't looked in. I know of him, of course, but I haven't looked into all of his research and some of this. Oh, we can do we can do some we can do some really cool stuff on uh, Adam's calendar and the stuff found down there. Some really fascinating stuff's been found down there by him. That's great. Yeah. Very cool. Well, you guys, uh, I hope everybody at home enjoyed this episode. Um, in our next episode, we are going to get into the promised goblins of Kentucky, which is so weird. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about. There's a lot that we viewed. There's definitely going to be some point in the future when John and I go down there personally to look into these things. It's going to be really exciting. Uh, and we're going to be really excited to talk about it because we've been researching this stuff for a couple weeks now. I hope you guys loved this episode. Please let us know what you think in the comments below. Uh, and John, thanks so much for being with us. And for everybody at home, we hope you thought this episode was as out of this world as we did.